Thanks for pressing play. This is Lockhead on Marketing. And uh, this is the podcast, or you might even call us an oddcast, for marketers, category designers, and entrepreneurs with a different mind. And this is a very special episode, especially for tech entrepreneurs, tech investors, and anyone working in the tech startup world. Because today's guest is super smart, super successful, and super controversial. He's the all-in podcast's rain man, David Sachs, and he's back. What you're about to hear is a, a part of our recent conversation on episode 267, that's 267, of Follow Your Different. And uh, this segment is sort of targeted at the topics that I mentioned off the top, and so we thought it would be valuable to drop it here. And what we're going to dig into for you is the economy, what's happening in the startup world, what the stark differences are in um, the tech startup world between 2021 and 2022, what those are shaping up to be, and how that needs to change thinking, uh, what startups should be thinking about regarding raising money and making their current cash positions uh work for them for longer and pay special attention to Sachs's advice for navigating these uncertain times. Now, you probably know David Sachs is a legendary entrepreneur, category and company builder, and now he's a venture capitalist. He's the co-founder of Craft Ventures. And uh, around Silicon Valley, um, David Sachs is a living legend. You see, he's the co-founding COO of PayPal, uh, founder and CEO of Yammer, which was acquired by uh, Microsoft for over a billion dollars. And Sachs has been an early investor in companies like Facebook, Twitter, Uber, SpaceX, Airbnb, Bird Scooters, Slack, and more. And as I mentioned, uh, he's a co-host of the All In podcast, which has become one of the most popular dialogue podcasts in the world, and pretty much all of Silicon Valley listens. Now, readers like you have made Category Pirate's latest book a number one bestseller, The Category Design Toolkit, Beyond Marketing. 15 frameworks for creating and dominating your niche. So go to amazon.com right now and pick up your copy of the category design toolkit by category pirates. Now, as Joey Ramone said, Hey ho, let's go. This is Lockheed on marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary hosted by Christopher Lockhead three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. Now, last year, if I'm not mistaken, was it the best year ever, or certainly one of the best years ever in venture capital startup ecosystem, was it not? Yeah. I mean, well, depending on how you measure it, yeah. Now, the question is how sustainable that is. <laughs> well, yeah, and it looks like, uh, you know, we recently had Brian Roberts on, and he was indicating this. And, of course, you and I re read many of the similar things, which is, A, there is a takedown in valuations. Uh, obviously, there's a reaction to what's happening in the public market. That's a big part of what's driving that. And it seems like there is a slowdown in uh, number of deals and, and sizes of deals. So it seems like on, on the, the big metrics, things are coming down. What's your assessment of how uh, 2022 is going to play out in the startup slash VC world? 
Well, it's going to be very different than 2021, for sure. Um, there's a huge correction that's been underway really since November. The public market started correcting it in November. And uh, just to, to step back for a second, what happened over the last two years is that you had this uh, enormous amount of liquidity injected into the markets as a result of the Fed and Congress reacting to COVID. You had $10 trillion of money printing and stimulus pushed into the economy after we had all the COVID shutdowns of the economy. And frankly, they overcorrected. They over, you know, it's the typical thing that Washington does is overcorrect. And already it was clear when Biden came in, this was about, uh, let's see, he came into office January of 21. And in April, they, um, they passed the American Rescue Plan or whatever. It was like the last $2 trillion of stimulus. Even by that point, you had uh, you know guys like Stanley Druckenmiller, the famed uh, macroeconomist, saying that don't do this. Demand is already back. The consumer is already back. Retail is 15% above trend, meaning that retail demand by consumers was already not only had caught back up after the, the COVID shutdowns brought it way down, but it was 15% above trend. And then they pumped another $2 trillion, And I think that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. And so by the summer, you already saw 5.1% inflation. And by the end of the year, we were up to like 7.8, 7.9. That's where we are now is close to 8% inflation. And so as a result of that, the Fed started making very hawkish noises about interest rate increases. And so this started in November of last year, the Fed started talking tough on inflation. Now, they haven't actually done much of anything. I think they've given us one quarter point raise. They also stopped, I guess, QE. So that was the other thing is they were still doing QE. And the Fed has now told us that they are expecting, they, they said they're going to do 1.75%, seven quarter point rate increases this year. They've done one. And so that would imply 50 basis point raises per quarter for the next three quarters. So that's kind of what's now been priced into the market. and But the market's also looking ahead to say, well, gee, even after these rate increases, assuming they happen, is inflation going to be tamed? And there's, you know, and people are on both sides of that. Um, but if it's not tamed and rates have to go up to, I don't know, 5%, the markets could go even lower. So there's tremendous interest rate uncertainty right now. And then you also have all the uncertainty of the war. And then you have the fact that people are now realizing that all of the prices that were paid last year, both in public markets and private markets, were a delusion. They were basically, I mean, that was people drinking the Kool-Aid from all this liquidity that had been pumped into the system. So, for example, in our business and SaaS companies, private market SaaS companies, 100 times ARR became the norm last year. And there were companies that got 250 times ARR. I mean, it was, you know, really extreme. Before COVID, you know, I remember back in, I don't know, you go back to 2018, 2019, uh, you know, 20, 30 times ARR was a much more common multiple. So the multiple expansion was massive. You saw this in the public markets as well. The typical SaaS company used to trade at eight times ARR. It went all the way up to 15 or 16. Now it's all the way back down to eight. So again, you had this huge bubble, this asset bubble. And people say, well, you know, when's it going to bounce back? Well, it did. It bounced back from this artificial high that was created. And this is the level it should be at right now. 
and it could still go lower if you know there's a if this war spins out of control or uh, or if inflation is worse than we think or or the ten year T bill interest rate is higher than people think at the end of this year. So there's still a lot of risk uh, priced in, but the markets now are obviously at a much lower point than they were. I mean, we had companies. So you look at like SaaS companies that were in the public markets that were trading at twenty to twenty five billion dollar valuations in November are now trading at six to seven billion. You know, literally seventy five percent off. So that that all that is working its way through the system right now. Do you think we'll see? Typically, when prices come down like this, we see some consolidation. Uh, do you think we'll see that, or do you think that the war, the uncertainty of the war, will slow down people's appetite? You know, people have been talking by way of example with Salesforce that the reason their their stock is quote depressed is that the street is worried they're going to do more slack type deals. Well, this would be a good time for companies like Salesforce. I'd say probably later this year to start doing more M and A because valuations are much cheaper. And you know, a company like Slack that they bought for thirty billion, I think that was valued at around what is like market cap was around fifteen to twenty, and then they paid a premium to get it to, to like twenty nine, something like that. You'd have to figure Slack today on a, as a public company would probably be worth I don't know ten billion, maybe. I mean, you know, maybe you could say fifteen. So clearly, Salesforce paid a lot for it. Now, their stock was higher too, but the correction has been greatest among the growth stocks. And um, Salesforce is going to be a much more mature company at this point. So the correction in Salesforce's stock is nowhere near what it's been in these, you know, like recent high flyers, these recent IPOs. So yeah, I mean, Salesforce, I think by the end of the year, it'll be a great time for them to do M&A because they're going to get 75% off what they would have paid a year ago. And that'll be true for virtually everybody, right? So we could yeah, see so in the back half uh, uh, an uptick. Yeah, and it may take more time for founders to get religion, right? So, you know, one of the reasons why there's not a lot of deals happening right now is because in, in VC land is because prices are kind of sticky. I mean, all the founders remember the glory days just six months ago of 100 times ARR, and they're still anchored on that. And they don't believe that, like, there's been this giant repricing and that things could really be at 20 times ARR. And they know they only need one VC to still be drinking the Kool-Aid to pay a hundred. So, you know, they're going to hold out to see if they can get that. And a lot of companies and we're advising our companies like, look, this isn't really a great time to be fundraising if you don't have to. So they're going to wait longer and they're going to lengthen their runway. They're going to try and burn less money. So they don't have to raise in a bad market, hoping it bounces back. So there's going to be resistance uh, to these changes in um, price levels. But by the end of the year, things will reach um, a new normal because companies just have to raise. And, um, you know, and then I think what will happen is assuming LPs are looking at all of this, there'll be less deployment by LPs into new VC funds and there'll start to be a contraction of VC money entering the market. Maybe, you know, might be a very good time to be an LP in a VC fund. <laughs> I think, I think 2022 will be a much better vintage than 2021. I mean, this is the irony is that as a VC, you want to be investing when price levels are low and exiting when price levels are high. And so when the world looks like it's in a disaster, that's the best possible time to be investing. In fact, we had, um, you could call, almost call it like a micro vintage in the right after COVID started. You remember like the NASDAQ went down like 30, 40%. Everyone was worried the world was going to end. There was a three or four month period where everyone in Silicon Valley 
stopped investing because they were just like frozen up. And we at Kraft decided to keep investing through it. And we did three or four deals during that three or four month period that I think would be some of our best deals. And yeah, it was like a 50% off sale. In fact, we should have done more deals if we could. And then what happened is the Fed started pumping like crazy and valuate. And then that money started flowing through and the market went back up. And then all the VCs who had missed out on all the deals were like, wait a second, why do we just stop investing for the last four months? Now we have to make up for lost time. And the whole thing just got very bubbly. <laughs> People, uh, human beings are pack animals. Sure. Now, some VCs are telling, uh, are, are painting a, a pretty dark picture for their um, their CEOs and their companies and saying, hey, listen, battle stations, take your burn rate way down. Assume that your last round is your final round. Uh, you know, some of them are ringing that recession bell pretty hard. Um, what kind of advice are you giving to your CEOs and founders? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good point. I think that, I mean, definitely we're telling them lengthen your runway, make your cash last, understand that the conditions, if you raise last year, that those were peak conditions and never be that easy or favorable again. Also understand that you may need to grow into your valuation. For example, if the new valuation level that lands and then that sort of persists is 20 times ARR. And, and we don't know that it is yet, by the way, it could end up being 30 or 40, who knows? Uh, but let's say it is 20 and you raise it hundred times ARR. You have to grow five X just to get this a flat round valuation, right? So, you know, most companies can't grow five X in one year. They need to it takes them two years to do that. So if you're planning on raising in 12 to 18 months, like the go-go days, you're not gonna have enough time to grow into your current valuation, never mind get an up round. So you need to make that money last until you can at least grow into your current valuation and then hopefully a little bit on top of that so you can get an up round. And here's the problem is VCs don't like to fund down rounds. So, you know, you may take a perfectly healthy company that's still growing, I don't know, two, two and a half X year over year, but they raised at, you know, 250 times ARR a year ago or two years ago, and they just haven't grown into that valuation. I mean, what they should do is just raise at the market clearing price and move on. But VCs don't like those deals because um, they know about the psychology of the company. Everyone in the, all the employees feel down and they're worried that the company will sort of fall apart. And no VC likes to be the bearer of bad news who tries to convince the founder that actually your valuation was never realistic, you know? And so a lot of times like the rounds just don't happen because no one wants to to lead the down round or, you know, you'll end up with a round with a lot of structure in it and which is always very bad, you know? So I would just tell founders like, look, you know, think about public companies. There's not a public company stock that doesn't go up or down. This whole idea that your stock can only go up. It's only one direction. It, it's not like that. I mean, and you have to, now, if you want to avoid that fate of, of that risk, you have to make sure that this money lasts long enough for you to hit the new performance met benchmarks that the market expects. And if not, you're going to have to do that down round. And uh, I mean, we've all been through it. Uh, standing up as an executive in front of your company and explaining why you just raised all this money at a haircut from the last value and what that means to everybody's stock. And, you know, because, of course, employees 
if they don't if they don't actually take a loan and, and spend the money anyway, mentally they're spending the money, and their spouses right. and families are spending the money. And now, when you explain to them what's happened and what dilution looks like, et cetera, et cetera, that's not a fun all hands meeting, is it? No, I mean this is the problem: is that no VC. I mean, look, if you're the VC who leads that down round, you're perceived as the bad guy. Why are you giving? You know, why are you cheating us? On but it's like most VCs be like, fine, I don't want to deal with it. I'll go find a company that didn't screw up its cap table. You know, so I mean, this is the the, the problem. And I I think I think the mistake here is founders should not get too wrapped up in valuations. You know, like my attitude towards valuations as a VC at Kraft is, look, the market decides. I'm a price taker at the at the end of the day. We're not, you know, it's wonderful if we can get a deal, but we just choose the companies we want to be in. What I would tell founders is go out and run the best process you can when you need to raise money, because you need to raise money. Talk to enough firms that you have a clear idea. You're probably going to need to talk to more firms in a down market because you're going to get fewer term sheets. But just let the valuation come out where it comes out. Remember, you know, these rounds are not the same. As, they're not a liquidity event, and they're not the same as an exit. And they're they're just a step along the way towards you building what you're trying to build. You know, and people, you know, some of the people in my some of the more junior people in my firm are saying like, David, don't don't you know, don't rain on everyone's parade. All the stuff you're saying out there, founders don't like it. They think you're trying to rip them off and try and get a good deal. I'm really not. I mean, I promise you that we will pay whatever the prevailing prices are, good, bad, or neutral. I'm just giving you the straight scoop here, you know. Um, but founders will be a lot better off if they just try, try to run the best process they can. When talk to a bunch of different parties, you know, run it, run the process when you need to, and you, the evaluations will come out where they come out. It's not something you can control. Yes. Now, David, clearly, uh, I could talk to you for uh, a long, long time about a long list of topics, but I also want to be respectful of your time, you being a uh, captain of industry and one of the besties. <laughs> and so is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap, David? Um, no, it's, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Maybe too much ground. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it as always, and uh, hopefully have you back a, a little bit more regularly than we have yeah. done this lately. Absolutely. Happy to do it anytime, Chris. Thank you, brother. Yeah. It's all right. Fun to see you again. Well, there he is, the legendary Rain Man of Silicon Valley and the All In Podcast, David Sachs. And you can find David on the internet at craftventures.com. And if you got some value out of this episode, why not share it with 10 of your closest friends right now? Most podcast apps have a share feature. It's probably right in your hand at this moment. And uh, we also deeply appreciate it when you share these podcasts on social media. All right. We would like to thank, uh, of course, you for hanging out. We deeply appreciate your time. Uh, our friends at Play Bigger Advisors, the original category design advisory firm, check out playbigger.com. Our friends at Autranet, building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years, check out atre.net. Our friends at clary.com help CEOs answer one of the most important questions in business, which is are you going to beat, meet, or miss? 
on revenue. You see, Clary is the platform for optimizing your entire enterprise-wide revenue process so that you can deliver on the numbers. Check out Clary, C-L-A-R-I.com today. Now, before you act on any of today's information, please contact your doctor, lawyer, mystic therapist, bartender, yoga instructor, and especially your category designer. Uh, warning, the creators of this podcast were more than likely consuming libations. Thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. And remember, all episodes do contain nuts. Listen to the All In podcast. Remember, most of what we've been taught about marketing is absolutely wrong. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Category Pirates' number one bestseller, the Category Design Toolkit on Amazon.com. Category Design Toolkit. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast. It's one of my top five favorites. It's called Grumpy Old Geeks. Jamie J and Sarah Knox do legendary technical execution and uh, build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. The brothers uh, Bobus, RJ and EX do our web development. And Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack. And our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. The thought I'll leave you with comes from Richard Milhouse Nixon, who said, quote, I reject the cynical view that politics is a dirty business. End quote.